Welcome to the 372nd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Well, eating season is over. January 1st has come and gone. It's We're now on to the sixth day of January as I record this podcast, and it's time to get back on the wagon. A lot of people have been sidestepping Dr. Delaney uh, for fear of uh, facing the music for the holidays, but we're all back at it. So I hope you're doing well. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about little things that might help you get back on the wagon. I am in the process of um, actually almost ready to taper for our 50-mile race, uh, the beginning of February. I think it's February 13th weekend. So I have a uh, month of January, uh, I guess for the most part, uh, taper about three weeks into that, or start a taper. So trying to build up a little volume. Um, managed to run every day in January so far. That's probably not going to continue at this rate, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I've been feeling good on seven milers, and we've been kind of doing some back-to-back long runs on the weekend. So uh, hopefully that'll go. While um, taking a little time off, uh, we watched, and I had the um, the, the uh, main characters on uh, from the Road to 50 documentary. Um, uh, I don't know. It's been six months ago. I'll put a link to it. Um, we actually watched the documentary. It was on Adventure Plus. The Road to 50 Miles is a documentary about two women who decide to take on a 50-mile endurance race in California. And it went through their training and ups and downs and uh, then for the race. And it was actually very, very good. It was very well well done. I would encourage uh, anyone to watch it if you like running. I I thought they did a really good job. Um, And and their message is that anybody can do anything they want to. They put their mind to it. So I'm hoping that's going to stay true for us in the 50 mile. But nevertheless, one of the things... Um, during the, their training, one of the main characters developed some calf pain and she went to see a physical therapist and the physical therapist was talking about, you know, the reason why her calves were acting up was that she really wasn't activating her glute muscles when she was running as much. And it was a little bit interesting. If I looked at the two women running, the one that got injured was the one that appeared to have the best form. Uh, if you, if you watch people run. And, you know, and that's something we see all the time when you're running a marathon or you're running a 10K or a 5K. You see people that of all shapes and sizes and all kinds of different running styles. And, um, again, she looked like she had the most form, but she was getting into injury. And, basically, she was running with her lower leg. And it kind of, I kind of had an epiphany the other day when I was running um, because, you know, I we talk a lot in our practice about posture and glute activation and rotating um, you know, Katie Bowman, and we talked about that on the podcast as well, as you rotate your knee, you rotate your femur laterally. So you rotate your knee. If you look at the crease behind your leg, you want to straighten that out. So your knee kind of rotating your knee kind of pointing out, rotating your femurs out. Um, so if you were to take your fist and, and put them forward and then just now um, extend your wrist back. Uh, that's what you're kind of doing with your femurs. And if you do that, if you stand up and do that and use your glutes to activate your those rotation and rotate your femurs, it 
rotates all the way down the line. And if you look down at your feet, uh, you'll go from having, you know, maybe a flat foot or your arches will be accentuated. And all of a sudden, it made great sense to me that if your glutes aren't activated, you're really overpronating. And so anybody that's done any rope, uh, any running for any period of time, they go to the running store and they have you stand and they may have you stand on one of these specialized um, heat sensor type devices. They'll say, oh, yep, you're, uh, you have flat feet or you overpronate if we watch you run and therefore you need inserts. If you go to a podiatrist, they'll say you need... Um, you, you need orthotics and you need destabilizing shoes. And, um, it's really just putting a bandaid on the fact that you're not activating your glute muscles. And, you know, if you remember a few weeks ago when I talked about the California international marathon and wearing the Newtons and my lower legs becoming, um, stiff or achy during that race, it was somewhat because of the way I was hitting with the new Newtons and I wasn't activating my glutes enough and my feet were kind of, there was a lot of motion down there and I was kind of overusing some of those stabilizer muscles in my, in my lower legs. And so kind of all hit me and went together um, out running after watching that movie. And I thought, well, this is a great, great teaching moment. If you look at the great runners, Kenyans and so forth, people winning races, they tend to hit with their um, their foot hits the ground under their center of gravity and you push back. It's it's like the road runner, if you remember that cartoon, and, and there's a little bit of a lean forward and the, and the power comes from behind, not in front. A lot of times people think if they reach out or overstride, they can go better. But the reality of it is you get more power if you're pushing back and it's kind of hitting and pawing backwards. But also that glute activation to um, keep your leg as you come through uh, uh, to keep your foot straight so that you're not actually over pronating. So I've been watching that a little bit with glute activation and it uh, really does does make a difference. And I am rotating through three pair of shoes trying to figure out what I want to do with the 50-mile run. I, I, I like my ultras. I have a Lone Peak model and a Temp model. The Temp model is more cushioned, more like the Hoka Clifton, so to speak, uh, only a flat version, maybe not quite as padded. I think it's a little too much shoe. I really like the feel of the ground. I like to be able to hit the ground and feel it. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'm leaning towards the lone peaks for sure. And, uh, I, you know, the, I'm really starting to like the Newtons. I don't know if I just really like the color. I really like the concept. Um, you know, Harvey Lewis is such a motivator. Maybe that's it. But, um, I, so I, I think that, you know, it's between those, those three that I'm, I've been rotating. And when I run with those three different shoes, they're, they're all, fairly different, you know, as far as the degree of cushion, the degree of shoe, uh, it activates different muscles. And, and I, you know, I kind of think that's a good thing. In the past, I've, for the most part, just wore one shoe till it wears out and then went to another shoe and typically have stayed with the same model. And I, I kind of like the, the idea that I'm getting an extra workout by uh, rotating these shoes and uh, allowing, you know, my glute to help stabilize with the different shoes. So, Anyway, that's, um, that's my take on running at this point. I'm really trying to keep the mobility up over the holidays. That was one thing that slacked with me was doing my uh, mobility, especially hip flexors. And I really started noticing that when 
uh, we started to bump up the mileage again uh, the first first of the year. So I'm doing the hip activation sequence and getting a lot of hip flexion going. And, um, you know, with this glute activation, um, the bird dogs is a good way to kind of get your glutes activated in the morning. Fire hydrants, uh, you can look that up. And donkey kicks, you know, from a, on the floor, all fours position is a, is a really good way to get your glute activated. Um, single leg uh, RDLs, just kind of bending over. If you think about ice skating and, you know, how an ice skater would be on one one skate and the leg extended backwards that's another way to get the glutes activated so just something to wake wake up those muscles and to kind of get your brain and your glutes connected so to speak is is a good way to to get things going if you're interested i like to work with our members uh to you know look at glute activation just from a posture standpoint uh standing up with the weight over the talus bone and the heel Knees above the talus, hips above the knee, shoulders above the the hips, ears above the shoulder, and activating the glutes to kind of get that engaged. And, and that's a, a really good um, thing. Again, in the office, we see a lot of people. And, of course, if you just go to the mall and you look around the airport, I was there a couple times over the holidays, um, and you watch people walk. They, they tend to walk falling forward, um, all their weights on the front portion of their foot, and, you know, you wonder why people fall. If they catch their foot, there's no way to catch themselves because they're already falling just in the motion of walking because their weight's so forward and their calf's so tight and their glutes aren't activated. So, you know, we're, we're actually starting to incorporate a balance class in the office uh, to, to address posture and mobility uh, to, to decrease the incidence of falls and improve posture and improve running uh, in, in our members. So looking forward to that this year. Um, a lot of times people ask the first part of the year or they get a call from their physician and it's time for your annual physical exam or annual testing, annual blood work, or what needs to be done on a yearly basis. And I've got a few questions about that over um, the past couple of weeks. You know, what 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 should be done um you know one of the things that i always look about is um routine x-rays um a lot of times we don't think about it it's like oh what's a chest x-ray a little bit of radiation or what's a dental x-ray a little bit of radiation or a mammogram or a ct scan or you know hip film knee films routine chest x-ray to look at lungs or um, bone densities or CT calcium, that's all radiation that tends to add up. And we collect that like money in the bank in our bodies over the years. Um, We know from people that have studied radiation that radiation causes cellular damage. There's no doubt about it. The reason why, if you look on the bottom of your radiology report, it says, you know, we use the least amount of radiation possible for this examination. And, And that's true. Most Uh, People that are involved in radiation, whether it's a stress test, a nuclear stress test is radiation, by the way, or uh, any kind of imaging facility, we have to take continuing education on how to limit the amount of radiation that we are exposed to by doing tests and the amount of radiation that our patients are exposed to. And, of course, um, any kind of good radiology lab, uh, their equipment is under vigorous checks to make sure that there's no scatter or you know abnormal uh, radiation exposure. 
But what we don't look at is the cumulative effect in people. So nobody asks, for the most part, as far as I know, how many x-rays did you have last year? How many x-rays do you have a year? Um, we tend, people tend to get signed up for yearly evaluations of different things. And, and that accumulates. And the question is, what do you do with those yearly evaluations that concern radiation? Um, certainly there is the potential for damage over time, but what do you actually get from it? And, you know, if you're going to have a test done, one of the things you should ask is, what are we going to do with the answer? And, you know, a easy, for instance, is a bone density test. You know, we want to see whether somebody has osteoporosis or not. What am I going to do if you have osteoporosis? Uh, medications are not without risk, uh, substantial risk. So am I going to take medication? Um, if I don't want medication, what are my alternatives? Well, weight-bearing exercise, normalization of body mass, posture. Uh, there have been studies that look at the way you stand, the way you walk, impacts how your weight-bearing exercise may actually help you develop bone. We know that people that run uh, are more uh, develop more bone and preserve more bone and muscle mass than people that don't. So the more you pound, you know, people say, oh, running is so much pounding. But that running and that pounding also causes the development of muscle mass, bone mass, cartilage mass over time. Um, so those are things that you can do to preserve or improve muscle mass. The biggest risk to osteoporosis is falling and breaking something. So wouldn't it be better to figure out how not to fall and break something as opposed to just take a medicine to try to make your bones a little bit thicker, which have never been shown to decrease uh, bone fractures for the most part. They've never been shown to extend mortality, or I'm sorry, they never extend more longevity um, or decrease mortality. But certainly exercise has, uh, weight-bearing exercise has. Um, so you know, before we subject ourselves to these, let's just look and see, you want to ask what are the risks versus the benefit? How would change the outcome? If you came to see me and you had osteoporosis, I would tell you you need to exercise, specifically doing weight-bearing exercise, and we need to assess your posture. Um, if you came to me without osteoporosis, I would say we need to assess your posture and do weight-bearing exercise. So I'm going to give you the same answer regardless of what your bones look like. The more mobile you are, the, the better your posture is, the less likely you are to fall, and, and, and the less likely you are to break, break something. So, you know, that's one, you know, one example. Uh, another example that I ran into over the last couple of weeks, again, stress testing. You know, do we just routinely stress people over the age of 50 looking for cardiovascular disease? We know just by statistics in the United States that people that are over 50 have about a 50% chance of having significant cardiovascular disease. So it's a flip of a coin right now. So a stress test may, um, you know, bump that up to 60% in somebody that's asymptomatic. Um, but it's, it's certainly not definitive. But an abnormal stress test that requires radiation um, leads to a CT scan or calcium score, perhaps, or even perhaps cardiac catheterization, which leads to uh, radiation equivalent of hundreds of x-rays, potentially stents, potentially medications, when we know that the risk was 50 to 50, 50, 50, and that 50-year-old, why not address the causes of cardiovascular disease? 
um, when we address the causes of cardiovascular disease, we also address all, a lot of other risk factors, um, which brings us all the way back to nutrition. You know, that nutrition is going to play a huge role in decreasing risk factors for cardiovascular disease, which decrease risk factors for diabetes, which decrease risk factors for hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and cancer, and autoimmune diseases, and um, improves your chances if you have some sort of infectious process. So, um, again, more focus on therapy and less focus on just testing and um, doing procedures that may ultimately increase mortality, certainly not improve longevity in an asymptomatic setting. If, if you don't have any symptoms and you feel good, it's hard to feel better. Uh, and a lot of these tests don't result in increased lifespan. So if it doesn't make you live longer, doesn't make you feel better, why do them? That's the big question. If it doesn't make you feel long, if it's not going to make me feel, live longer and it's not going to make me live better, why do it? And what are the risk factors? And what, what kind of road am I leaving down to? And, and that really doesn't even discuss the potential for the stress associated with waiting for results and the potential for an abnormal study and what to do with the abnormal study and, you know, how to weigh your risk. Um, you know, I remember um, 29 years ago, I did an alpha feta protein test when I was pregnant, and it came back abnormal. And so the recommended procedure was an amniocentesis back, you know, so that's 29 years ago. And I looked up the risk versus benefit, and, you know, to me, knowing the uh, potential genetic defect would help me prepare for an outcome. Uh, I was not going to terminate a pregnancy, but at least I was prepared on how I would handle my future and the future of my child. So I decided to, to proceed with it, but trying to look at a, ri- a rate of or the risk factor of doing harm with that procedure when you apply it to one is very difficult. So even though there may be a 20% chance of this or a 1% chance of that, when it comes to you, it's hard to uh, to objectively um, apply those statistics, and, it, and it be, you become very skewed. And it's impossible for emotion not to take take hold. And from a physician standpoint, it's very difficult to look at a neg- at, at, very difficult to look at an abnormal test and not act upon it. Um, if, if you see a blockage, it's very hard uh, to say, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll do this the slow medicine way and, and with diet and nutrition as opposed to put a stent in and make it look better, even though it doesn't really change the outcome as far as longevity or quality of life. Um, if we see a nodule, the impetus is to take it out no matter how old a person is and how long it may have been there and what damage might be done by doing it. So, you know, there's, it comes back to medicine is an art, um, despite what's portrayed in the media these days. Um, it's a very personal practice. Each individual has their own, um, set of, uh, risks and, you know, what they're, what they're willing to take as a risk and how they see their future and, you know, what, what their, their values are. And so it's, it's becoming informed and asking those questions. And again, you ultimately, as, as the person receiving the test or the procedure, have the ultimate ability to say, yes, I want this or no, I don't. And we should do everything in our power 
to maintain that decision process. You know, in the old days, back in the 40s and 30s, you know, physicians were thought to be the smart ones and you did what the physicians thought should be done. And and a lot of things were done uh, because of ego or the idea of what, uh, you know, to advance science as opposed to advance um, longevity of of, uh, individual people. Um, That was just a fact. Doctors were scientists early on. Nurses were caregivers. Doctors were scientists. And it was the idea of, you know, um, for the greater good, uh, so to speak. And procedures were done on people that they shouldn't have been done. Experiments were done without informed consent. And in the 60s, that started to change. Informed consent was um, uh, became the, the rule of law. And you need to have informed consent. You need to, and as part of having informed consent is the risk of a procedure versus the benefits to an individual. And then the patient gets to ultimately make the decision. And the doctor should support that and be willing to change if the patient decides to change their mind. Um, nothing is forever laid in stone. Maybe someday, you know, some, some person doesn't want a procedure, they might ultimately change their mind. But the idea is um, the patient gets to make the decision and you as a potential patient need to remember that and uphold that um, ability to make that decision with all your might. Just as physicians often recommend test and procedure, there was a study done that did a survey of nephrologists and dietitians that dealt with kidney failure patients on recommending a plant-based diet. It is well documented since the 1970s that people that have decreased kidney function will do much better and there will be a length, longer period of time before the need of dialysis if animal protein is reduced to about 10%. Lower protein intake protects kidney function and often reverse, reverses kidney failure. Lower protein intake decreases the stress on the kidney and often improves kidney function. We all were taught that, but there is a lot of, I guess, the decrease of people putting that into practice. We see the protein in the blood go down as physicians in kidney failure patients or people with decreased kidney function. And the, uh, it, it, we, we want to increase the protein to make up for the lack of protein in the blood. But it's the kidney damage that is causing the loss of protein through the urine that's the problem. Like there's a hole in the net if you're a fisherman and the fish fall out. The idea is to let the kidney repair itself and not put so much stress on the net. By decreasing the fish in the net, the kidney, the net does the holes don't stretch. By decreasing the protein in the diet, it's not so much stress on the kidney, and the kidney can often repair itself and improve in function. There was a recent reported study that interviewed nephrologists and dietitians that take care of kidney patients, and they looked to see how many physicians and dietitians recommended a plant-based diet? Only 56% of the 
recommended a plant-based diet lower in protein to their patients. And when asked why, they said that the patients probably wouldn't do it and it would be too hard to implement, so they didn't talk about it. It's, you know, it's, it's somewhat mind-blowing. So here's an intervention that has no downside, no risks to it, but we're afraid somebody might not do it, so we don't recommend it, as opposed to we can, we, in our hearts, we know we can talk people into procedures to look at things. There are so many patients that have kidney disease that are referred for a, a CT scan with contrast, which ultimately cause kidney failure in some of these patients, and nobody talks about it. We'll hydrate them. We'll try to get through it. But here's an intervention, plant-based nutrition, about 10% of the calories from protein, where you can actually improve kidney function and decrease the need for dialysis, and nobody recommends it because it might not be handy. You know, it, it, it just, again, it, it, it drives me crazy that it's because we don't want to take enough time with people to actually explain to them how this might benefit. And, and again, I think that this disconnect of can nutrition actually reverse disease when all these fancy medications and, per, and procedures don't seem to reverse the disease. And it, and it does seem intuitive. If these medicines can't do it, then how can eating plant-based actually do it? And, and it's much more... Um, you know, participant involved, so to speak. I was asked, um, you know, or I often hear that, you know, I just didn't have time or it takes too much time for me to do this. And so I quickly grabbed something and, you know, it was all, you know, all, most of the time it's a, it's a bad choice. I think if you listen to the Doug Graham podcast a couple weeks ago, if you don't have time, then grabbing a piece of fruit would be the ultimate time saver. Grabbing a bag of salad would be the ultimate time factor, as opposed to driving through a drive-in or ordering and going and getting something and eating. You know, so it's not really I don't have time. It's how we justify it. I don't have time for it. the most important aspect of your life being your health, but you don't have time for it. It should be the number one reason, number one thing that you have time for. Assessing what's in your refrigerator, planning your menu should be as important as what you're going to wear to work, more important, um, how you're going to get there, and so forth. So, it, it, you know, again, for the, I'll challenge people for this year is to put nutrition first for you and your family and taking the time. And if you don't have time, Make it really, really simple. Eat fruit and raw vegetables. Can't be any quicker than that. But, you know, people will then say, well, it's not as satisfying. Well, if you said you didn't have time, then this is, this is the way to go. The other, the other thing that I hear is, you know, again, will, how much do I have to do to reverse disease and will it actually happen? And how much time do I have... To, to do this reversal uh, reversal treatment. You know, um, if you get a stent, obviously your arteries opened up right then and there. So you schedule the procedure, you get the stent, and it's over. Um, if somebody has, uh, you know, other procedures done, then it's over, and you can go on about your life, so to speak. But with nutrition, 
and nutrition to change, this becomes a lifelong endeavor, certainly for the immediate time, but the reality of it is this is a forever choice on maintaining health, which just becomes too overwhelming. I guess the better way to look at it was, you know, to break it down into the short term, how am I going to reverse my disease now, and then we'll go from there and assess things. Um, You know, I don't want to be on medications. Well, you're going to have to make some sort of change if you don't want to be on medication. You know, so what what are those changes? And, And again, how quickly these changes occur is how aggressively you make the changes. So a lot of people will say, well, it didn't work, but it's more of a three-day on, two-day off type of thing. And, of course, it's not going to work because you're not getting any long-term consistency like we talked about on the last podcast. So, you know, again, I would challenge that if you have a significant ailment, lifestyle disease that you're trying to reverse, especially in the new year, that you become very aggressive and, you know, let's go out of the gate starting very, very aggressively the first month and, you know, markedly increasing fruits and vegetables. If you have, you know, people say, well, it takes so much time to read the labels on boxes and and jars and and things. And no, um, you don't have to worry about the labels if you shop in the produce section. If, you know, if something, you can turn it over if you want to look at a box, and if it has more than two ingredients, you know, just put it back, and chances are it will. So if the biggest bang for your buck is to be very, very aggressive up front. Um, you know, the question comes, how much can I have? And it's, you know, how much, how well will this serve me? Um, what's going to serve me best and, and, you know, and what, what does it take to reverse this disease? And, you know, I, I put my Christmas decorations up, uh, over the last week and we have a, you know, you take them down, you put them in the boxes and, you know, we have a storage area in our garage that's kind of up, uh, built up. So I carry the boxes up a ladder and stack the boxes up until next year. And, you know, every year we try to, um, things we're not going to use, you know, set them aside, throw them out, give them away, and then, you know, combine boxes so that there's not as many boxes and it's a little bit more organized. That's kind of the goal. Um, but, you know, um, the more boxes there are in, in the garage, the more time it takes to clean them out and to do that process. Uh, my goal for this year is I'm sitting in my office in my home doing this podcast and it's gotten out of hand. So the goal is to get the books on the shelves and to get some of the things cleaned up and make my office less looking less like a transition area for an Ironman and more like a, um, an office library. But it's going to take some time. It, it won't happen all at once, but... Certainly it won't happen at all if I cart something else in here. So if I take a box out, but every, you know, for three days in the row, but then I bring in another bicycle or another something else, then I'm just cluttering and I'm not making any progress. And if I really want to get it, uh, things, you know, I can clean things out and, and, and so I can see what, I, what I'm doing. And the more aggressive I am, the better I clean things out and the better things will look and the better I'll feel about it. And the same thing is with our bodies. 
yeah, you could, you know, you could cut back um, a little and make a few changes and, uh, you know, perhaps go to grass fed. People always tell me about that. We're going to do grass fed and um, which is much better than regular meat. And we're going to cut down on, you know, this and cut down on that. Um, but depends on the, ch- the, the, the changes that you actually want to make um, and the time you have before your disease progresses. And, and some people are on a, 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 this pretty steep curve, you know, uh, people with kidney disease. You know, if you're down by the time your creatinine, which is a function of your kidney, is abnormal, you've lost over half your kidney function. Uh, when it's really elevated, you might be down to 20% before anybody talks to you about it. Well, that's not the time to really take it slow. It's the time to be aggressive. And so, again, the more, the more you do, and the one thing that we know that won't hurt anybody, more fruit, more vegetables. More fruit and more vegetables. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's, um, you, you, you know, risk versus benefits. There's a lot of benefits to eating simply, to eating fresh. Um, when people say they eat clean, I don't even know what that means. Uh, it means so many different things to, to different people. But to me, clean is organic fruits and vegetables. And then you dirty it up as you go into things that are processed. So and when you add a box, you're adding processed. Um, and you do what you can do. If you are making changes for your whole family and people aren't, um, you know, they have more time, then maybe you can go slower. But again, most uh, people that do the baby steps don't really keep it up. If I have a pineapple that's uh, whole and sitting on the counter, I'll put off cutting it up. The same way with a watermelon or a cantaloupe. But if I cut it up and put it in a container in the refrigerator, I'm more apt to eat it. If I have the grapes washed and ready to go, I'm more apt to eat them. So preparing things ahead of time that you can, you know, um, grab to, you know, prepare your to prepare your meals, uh, the the easier it is. You know, making sure you have your menus uh, and you're ready. To, you know what you're going to have in the morning for dinner. If you come in and you're hungry, uh, or you're on the way home and you're hungry, you're more likely to stop at a fast food and grab something than, um, you know, to come home and you already have a menu. You've taken the stress out of it because you already know what you're going to cook. Same thing with exercise. I lay my clothes out the night before. I know what I'm going to wear for running in the morning. I grab and go. Uh, I don't have to think about it. That's just part of the process. Brush my teeth. My clothes are right there. Uh, I've already checked the weather, and it's it's grab and what and grab and go. Um, you know, maybe I'll have a contingency plan if the weather's really bad or there's some sort of storm and I lightning. I can't get outside. Uh, I I know that I'm ready and I'm going to do a different routine. Whether I'm going to get on a treadmill or whether I'm going to do a strength training, I know what I'm going to do. So it's not, I wonder what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. So those are a few things that you can take, you know, take the decision-making out of things. Um, You know, I've heard, um, you know, we make thousands and thousands of decisions every day, and sometimes it just becomes too overwhelming. You just don't want to make another decision. Um, But if you can just simplify things just like that, uh, it makes it it much, much better, and, and you're more likely to do it. If you would like an accountability partner, um, our, our website is drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. Um, we provide accountability through nutrition, through exercise, wellness plans. Um, we have online content for our members, uh, exercise plans. We're training for the Treasure Coast Marathon in Stewart, Florida, the, the beginning of March. You can check that out if you'd like to uh, come and run a marathon with us. We're, we're going to have a group of people. 
Uh, again, I'll be doing the 50-mile run um, in uh, Texas, the Hoka 50. Uh, that is the second week of, of February. You can email me with questions at jamie at drdelaney.com, J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. We have a full-time registered dietitian, Addie Delaney Minerich, that does exercise plans, as uh, fitness plans, strength plans, as well as uh, dietary consultations. So, you know, if you'd like to sure up your plate, uh, get some help in paring things down, we, we'd certainly like to help you. It is a minefield out there. You know, somebody brought me a a flyer from the grocery store and all the, you know, BOGO, buy one, get one of uh, plant-based products. And she said, which one is good? And it's like, well, there's none of them good because they're all full of salt and oil and high calorie. You know, they're just the plant vegan version of uh, a, 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 um, a processed food. There's all those things out there. You know, there's all kinds of things to tempt you beyond this, almost that, yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken's coming out with a green bucket. You know, no, that's healthy. It wasn't healthy in the animal version. It's not healthy in the plant version. And um, so, so don't be fooled. Uh, vote with your dollars and keep your own uh, decision-making uh, within yourself. So educate yourself, ask questions, but you all to get, ultimately get to make the decision. And um, hopefully you won't have to make too many in a day. But again, we'd love to help you if you uh, if you want our help. I'm trying to post a lot of recipes or not so much recipes of what I eat on Instagram, especially the first part of the year when people are starting to, to make some changes. Um, and you, so you can follow me on Instagram at Jamila Delaney. Um, on Facebook, again, you can sign up for our newsletter. Go to the website and, and, um, and uh, sign up for the newsletter. But for now, I will speak with you next week. Thank you for listening. Go on over to iTunes. Give us a five-star. Let more people know that we're out there. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. 